You're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm your host, Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Today we're excited to be kicking off a brand new show that will discuss canoes, canoe tripping, kayaking, as well as other paddle sports such as stand-up paddle boarding and rafting. The aim of the show is to bring you news, information, interviews from the world of paddle sports. We look to bring you everything from tips and stories of canoe trippers to the favorite paddling spots of kayakers. We will discuss the latest gear and gadgets available to paddlers, as well as the tried and tested older gear that some of us wouldn't go on the water without. Along with our own personal experiences on the water, we'll have the interviews with people that have had their own stories to tell and experiences to share. The paddling community is large and diverse and it exists in every corner of the planet. And paddling has been around for thousands of years in one form or another, so we hope to tap into this world and help spread some of the enjoyment people get from it. Why they go out in the water, where they go, and what they hope to get from the time they spend out there. Do they go to relieve stress, environmental issues, social gatherings? Let's find out. You're listening to us on Reno Viola Outdoors Radio, an online radio station geared towards those that enjoy the outdoor lifestyle. Along with listening to us on Rena Viola Outdoors, you can follow us at Paddling Adventures Radio on Facebook. There you will find more information from the world of paddling, more about us, and links to the people and topics we discuss on our show. Since Derek and I have a history of canoeing and canoe tripping, this program allows us to share our passion of canoes and the love of the outdoors. It also lets us learn more about kayaking and newer forms of paddling, like stand-up paddleboarding. While we will use this show to pass information on to you, our listeners, I'm sure we'll be learning a few things ourselves. So I guess there's nothing else to do but say, welcome to the show. We hope you enjoy what you hear, and let's just jump right in. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. You're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. We are now part of the Reno Viola Outdoors Radio Network. You can hear us multiple times each week. Go to renovioloutdoors.com, check out the schedule to see when our show plays. Since we are talking canoes and kayaks, we decided to hit up the Canadian Canoe Museum in Peterborough, Ontario. The museum is hands-on, interactive, and educational. As you will hear in the interview, it is an ideal place for families to visit. We're at the Canadian Canoe Museum with Carolyn Heslip, and uh, we're going to be talking about the museum, what it offers to people to come visit. Uh, what can you tell us about the museum, how long you've been here, and what, what, what is the museum offer to people that come to visit? Okay. Well, the Canoe Museum has been here in Peterborough since 1997 on Monaghan Road. I've been at the museum since 2001 and started with the education programs at the Canoe Museum. And um, we went, as you walked in, you would have seen the waterfall feature that was installed and all the renovations that were done to this place were done in 2001. Right. So that's when we have two, you know, 2001 is where the two floors evolved. Um, prior to that, it was one level, and canoes were just sort of laying around on the ground, essentially. And um, we've received a big federal grant and in 2000 for the millennium, and okay. that's when the big renovations took place. So. Now the collections here began from Kirk Whipper? That's right. Yep. Okay. And we are currently surrounded by Kirk Whipper and the Kanawha Collection that began at Camp Candelore with Kirk Whipper, a professor out of U of T that was collect he began collecting unintentionally. As he says, I never intended to build a museum. So it just and it grows. started. Yeah, it just began. And so that was in the early sixties. Right. Nineteen sixties. And how many canoes approximately are in kayaks are in the collection now? Right now, we're around 600 canoes, kayaks, paddled watercraft um, from all around the world. So not just Canada. We've got boats um, from all over the world. So Hawaii, Papua New Guinea, Peru, um, Mexico. Everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah, because canoes and paddled watercraft are, are not unique just to Canada. Well, that's what they we are. noticed walking around was that everywhere you, you go, everybody sort of had the same sort of idea. 
dig right. something out of a tree, yeah. get it on the water, and paddle it around. Yeah, and so. that's sort of how it began, yeah. really. First with dugouts, and then evolution into different materials that were available in different parts of the country or different parts of the world. Right. Um, so the West Coast, up on the upper level of the museum, the big West Coast canoes, the dugouts. Right. Big trees, right? Lots of coastal paddling, not a lot of portage, very, no portage. Portage, yeah. None at all. So you can have a 39, 45 foot boat quite easily. Right. Especially out on the, the ocean and whatnot. And for whale hunting. Right. Right. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> cool to think about that. It's pretty wild. Um, you've got some special exhibits here. You've got uh, Pierre Trudeau's right. paddling gear. Yeah. Uh, you have a couple of royal canoes. Um, Mark Oldershaw yeah. is, and uh, Vancouver did, yep. as well as the, my favorite, the Bill Mason exhibit. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mason. Yeah. So there's some history here and uh, some very, very uh, unique items as well. Yeah. Which yes. is nice to see. There's the ra the collection ranges, like not only we try to get around, we try to get people to think that this isn't just the largest collection in the world. This is also the most um, representative collection. Right. So miniatures, um, royal canoes, the Bill Mason, so the cultural environmentalists, the um, like the uh, Odiac that was used with by the James Bay Cree. It's now gone back to that community, but that kind of protest right. boat. Okay. Um, so yeah, so a lot of history and a lot of a lot of it political yeah. and just personal. Yeah. It's and the whole range, here. like pop culture, right down to, you know, really serious, beautiful building. Yeah, and I mean, there's lots of nice exhibits around here as well, and it shows the Voyager exhibit upstairs we saw, right. with what they would actually have to take, you know, <laughs> every load. And I mean, the size of the the boat itself is just <coughs> tremendous, much less all the, the the gear they had to take. Can you imagine carrying not 180 pounds? Not at all. I have enough issues carrying some of the stuff I've got to carry on my own canoe trips, yeah. much less all of that. Yeah. Um, I'm not sleeping in a tent. So, when people come to visit the museum, mm -hmm. what do you hope that they get out of it? From what they see walking around, what do you hope they get out of this museum? Well, I hope they have an opportunity to sort of see or find a bit of themselves. So, maybe a personal connection to maybe time at a cottage or a camp. Some sort of personal connection. Maybe it's just remembering what it's like to be on the water. Um, I also, sort of for the bigger picture, I want people to get an understanding of sort of the, the Canadian culture. So the canoe is often very symbolic of Canada. Right. Mounties, the beaver, beaver the, maple yeah. syrup, canoe, right? right? That sort of wilderness, it evokes all kinds of different meanings. So getting a little bit of that, certainly history of the, um, of, of the country prior to contact, so celebrating the stories and the culture of First Nations and Inuit, Métis, getting that story across to the general public. Right. I mean, the canoe did play a, a lot of different Yeah, it played a big part in the history of the country. Absolutely. You know, so it's, I mean, I've been paddling canoes since I was a kid, right? So, and I mean, a lot of people have been camps and yeah. you know family camping and the, the whole meal deal and now I mean many years later you know I've got a few of them in the backyard and <laughs> <laughs> a few of them you know <coughs> on a really like practical level I want people to have fun when they're here so we've done a lot of tweaks and adjustments in the last four years to make it a very family-friendly hands-on museum we've noticed all the hands-free or hands-on yeah areas so that people are invited to touch and engage and pick things up and try things on and you can get dressed as a voyager and so trying to make it as inclusive and welcoming museums can often be sort of these stuffy glass case quiet 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 space and we've tried to actually go to the exact opposite totally Let's interactive. Be super loud Let's make noise. Let's well, climb. Well, we've heard a couple. Let's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And as a way to just, you know, canoeing isn't, um, well, I mean, these artifacts are, are enormous to start with. So you can't put them behind barriers. No. So you have to already start. And they've all mostly been used. 
they've always they've come from people that make them. They've been used. They've been in the water. They've been left out to rot. Well, we've seen a few holes. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we don't actually. I mean, just as a sidebar, a lot of the collection we don't um, try to restore. Right. We try to sort of celebrate its state as is. Some we do do maybe replicas of. Right. We're working on that right now on a couple of replicas. That's cool. But yeah. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Uh, but as, as going the interactive, hands-on approach mm-hmm. here, you guys offer classes, workshops. Uh, I know you do the make a paddle, build a wanigan, uh, canoe restoration, and paddling camps, yeah. that sort of stuff. Now, I know a few people who mm-hmm. drop their kids off for the paddling camps. Oh, cool. How successful is that? Paddling camps are great. Kids have a lot of fun. They have a lot of fun. They're swimming, they're on the water. They're learning to stern the canoe. So they're not sitting in the middle while two adults stern the boat or steer and manage the boat. They are the ones in the stern. They I remember learn those how, days. They learn how to do it themselves. So it's very empowering. Lots of fighting. And it's and also a little fun, right? Yeah. <coughs> Lots of games. And the the paddle carving and the woodworking and all those artisan those sort of older skills and talents. We're trying to keep that tradition alive. So that people wanna make do your own understand how to move from a, a board of cherry into a paddle. We take them through all those steps. Right. So, yeah. So, you ha- actually end up with a paddle you can yes. use Absolutely. out on the water. Yeah. Which is perfect And thing. the skills to do it again. Which is a good thing. Right. So that you don't need to come to us or go buy it. You, you can end up with yourself. more paddles and you can shake a stick <laughs> That's at That's true. Um, how much interest are you finding that people have in the museum? Like, you get people coming back? More and more, a lot of repeat visitors and a lot of word of mouth, friends bringing like people, family bringing friends along, and the guest book has visits from all across the country, like all across the country, but also all over the world. Right. Um, Germany, Japan, you know, Quebec. There's all kinds of visitors, and a lot of them are coming because family and friends have said so. Right, which is is a good thing. Yeah. Now I noticed um, just from my own um, research and that it seems to be a, a resurgence over in Europe of canoeing. So especially Germany and that having them come over is oh yeah is, is huge. Yeah, you know, it's so, like an annual trek for some people. Yeah, to come to the canoe museum. Which is which is <laughs> nice because great. I mean they get to see the history here and what's yeah. you know I mean, I mean back in the day was the new world and this is what built the new world right and now you can see what it was. Yeah, that evolution. So, so public support, yep. volunteers, Absolutely. are what make this thing run. Yep. Um, how can people support the museum? Um, well, because we are a private, nonprofit, charitable organization. Right. We don't get substantial. We we get good support from the government at different levels in grants and operating grants, but that's only oh, it's not it's not a lot. Right. We're looking for more government support, but in the meantime, we, we, we just keep the lights on by through admissions. Our programs, like the paddling camps, they are cost recovery, but they recover the cost of people doing it, um, like the people that run it. Right. Um, we have a, a membership program, so we're, that's our first level. We try to invite people to become members, because that's just consistent support, and they get the inside scoop on everything. Right. Um, and, also, of course, they get in free, which is handy. Which <laughs> um, <laughs> a benefit. That's very handy. Um, we also have a very um, sort of a network of uh, different support levels. So you can support through monthly donations. You can support by adopting a canoe. You can support us, um, like some of the other funders that help us out privately, just chunks of money that ha- that go to general operating. Anything helps. Everything helps. Right. Yeah. And the volunteers, I mean, you're looking at over 13,000 hours of volunteers a year. Wow. Like, there's a lot of time that goes, that gets now, put in here by who volunteers. can volunteer? Anybody off the street come up and say, you know what, I'm interested in... 
helping restore or do guided yeah. tours or right now we have a waiting list for volunteers really yeah that's we, always a good thing that's always a good thing um we have volunteers at the front line at our visitor services desk front line we have there's um, volunteers that run our artisan workshops. We have volunteers that help with membership and donations. Right. Um, volunteers in the store. A volunteer just put in over 300 hours building an umiak. And we saw the little... Um, <laughs> 300 hours. ...area upstairs, and there's a gentleman up there right now... Oh, yeah, Brad. ...doing a custom paddle. Yes. With uh, yeah. all little glass work and artist in residence, yeah. volunteer, Which but is really animating cool the space, right? Well, yeah, and yeah. I mean, you, 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 there's that wall you can actually look down and watch yeah. what he's doing, and it was, that's really cool watching him carve each. Did little you piece see of glass his canoe? And, yeah, he showed us he a picture. He glassed of that. his canoe. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I don't want to portage that thing, man. Oh man, no, <laughs> no, I don't even want to put it on my car. <laughs> Not even. Struts. Uh, special events. Schools come. You can yep. come. School groups can come yep. here. Can uh, come group sleep tours. In the museum, sleep as in Kevin the, knows. Sleep in the museum. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I just remember Kevin sleeping at the Coburg Jail. This was worse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, weddings. Yeah, we host weddings because people want to get um, married in the galleries. Right, which yeah, is the pretty the something different, right? Yep, something yeah. different. Um, so, yeah, and it all all helps and yeah. brings uh, the museum into the light, you know, and yeah. word of mouth, people get a nice tour for it and the whole thing. Exactly, deal. yeah. Uh, gift shop, yeah. which I've noticed out front, you guys got a nice gift shop there now to buy Thank lots you. of lots of stuff. Cool. Which I'm sure also helps keep the lights it on. It does, it does. And there's some pretty yeah. neat stuff. Uh, you can go online as well. Yeah. There's an online, the same store is online pretty much. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, we were chatting earlier about, um, you know, the Voyager stuff and stuff. And we know mm -hmm. you guys got some scarves and... Yeah. And well, not just like the, the good old days. Oh, yeah, your salt to flesh, eh? Yeah. Um, to find out more about the Canadian Canoe Museum, hmm. Facebook? Definitely. There, that's where you get sort of the you get a sense of the culture of the place yeah. through our Facebook. And I spend Twitter. a lot of time on Facebook, Stuff looking at different things. Might and not enter, might not get onto the website, but it's these. You know, we're constantly we're we're constantly in all kinds of different places, and at least face it's great through social media because you can capture some of that at the time. At you the know, time, you know what's going on. Yeah. Right. But the um, website also has sort of all of the background information about the museum, how to become a member, support the museum, how to register for kids' camps and school groups and all of that. Everything it's you need to know. all there. It's perfect. All and that's uh, canoemuseum.ca. That's right. Yeah. Perfect. So the Canadian Canoe Museum. Yep. 910 Monaghan Road in Peterborough. Carolyn, thank you very much. You're welcome, Sean. And uh, I'm sure we'll be back and hopefully everybody will come and see us. Cool. Thank you. Okay, thank you. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. It was pretty cool going up and seeing the displays and the interactive exhibits that are at the Canoe Museum, uh, as well as the different canoes and the kayaks and everything that they had there. It was fascinating to see from the first days of the development of the canoe, and, and you can walk through the museum and the interactive part of it and, and see how the canoe developed to what we have current day, the current technologies. It's definitely, you know, you go from back in the day when they were just carving, like we said, dug out, out of a, a dugout canoe. And now they got these high tech uh, materials and streamlined and everything. It really makes a big difference. Uh, and you can see there's just the recreational canoes that, you know, regular people like us use. And then you get the, the people that are into the sports that are using these high tech lightweight and just the development is, is is awesome to see it's an incredible incredible experience to go to the museum and, and see the development yeah and in the the hands-on for the kids to see the voyageur exhibits and be able to 
to try on the stuff that they would have to carry, you know, the, the, the clothes, the, the packs that they would be carrying across these portages. I mean, we're talking, you know, history, the Canadian history of the fur trade. From the Wanigans to the external frame packs and now the internal frame packs, it's, it's the developmental stages. Like, they're always adding to this museum. I remember years ago when I first visited the canoe, it was, it was sort of bare bones and they've fleshed it out so much. The development of the museum itself is incredible. Well, and the fact that you can go there and sign up for different courses. You know, you can build yourself a Wanigan. You can build yourself a, a you know, carve a, can, a canoe paddle. Um, you know, it's, it's all hands-on interactive. And I, th I think for me, that's what really sells, besides the history of the canoes and, and that, that they've got up there. I think the fact that you can go in hands-on to the museum and learn that way is quite educational. Uh, it's fantastic. Or even if you don't do hands-on yourself, you can go and you can watch. There's a viewing gallery of a workshop, and you can watch them do their own products there. It's perfect, absolutely perfect. And for everybody, I would say if you're in the area, definitely check it out. If you like the show you are listening to right now, you can listen to it and many more just like it on Reno Viola Outdoors Radio. Fishing, hunting, boating, and the rest of the great outdoors, 24-7, 365 on Reno Viola Outdoors Radio. Download the free Reno Viola's Outdoor Radio app or visit WRVORadio.com online to see the lineup and schedule. That's Reno Viola Outdoors Radio. And enjoy the great outdoors. While at the Canadian Canoe Museum, we had the opportunity to sit down with Kevin Callan, outdoor enthusiast and canoe tripper. It was quite entertaining discussing some of his outdoor experiences. We're talking with Kevin Callan, also known as the Happy Camper. Yes, imagine that. Imagine having the term Happy Camper. Where did that... Uh, two things. One is I wrote a book a long time ago, a how-to book called The Happy Camper. Right. No surprise that that title wouldn't, wasn't taken. And it was a bestseller, sold lots of books. So people, or I would say the media... Uh, linked onto that, the happy camper, and, and then I'm supposedly happy all the time. I'm this hyper guy, and a good a good example is I am not a survivalist at all, and I've been on survival shows, and I would I would kind of giggle at them and say, look, I don't go out there to survive. Uh, if I had to, I would, and I hope I don't have to, but I go out there to live and enjoy myself. Right. And I think there's less emphasis on that nowadays than the survival. Yeah, I, I, mind you, I think that's flipping now. I think people are getting it. They're like, it's nice to watch on TV, but come on, we, we go camping because we want to. How did you get into children at risk? Or are the kids at risk? Children at What was it called? Uh, youth at risk. So youth that, at risk. I don't think we call them that anymore. Because I, um, I, I noticed that you had done a trip just, was it just last summer I was reading about a trip you went with the kids. Yeah, there, there's a bunch of things I do. Well, life in the outdoors, right? Mm -hmm. uh, don't quit your day job. Well, I don't have a day job. I, I work various jobs to keep myself happy and, um, you know, at least pay the bills, right? So and if you're looking to make money, do not go out and work in the outdoors. But if you want to be rich in spirit, then go work in the outdoors. So I've worked in outdoor ed for years. Uh, I've worked as um, uh, part-time instructor at Sussefra Fleming College uh, for 27 years, right? So, um, and then I guide and I, I uh, but my main thing is outdoor education, right? And that's why I did the happy camper thing. Right. And that's why I'm funny. And, and that's why I, I make it all comic and people relax about it because it's all to do with getting their attention and getting them out there. Mm -hmm. So with students at risk, um, well, nobody else wants to take them. Uh, that's how I got the job at the college. Uh, no, nobody else wanted to teach them. And what's called is a dual credit program. So their high school students aren't doing well in high school. So we, I become the college prof uh, for them. I take them in the woods and they finish their high school credit and get a, a college credit at the same time. So I teach them how to ID plants and flowers and trees and then how to canoe and how to we, we go on a winter camp trip and go on a hiking trip. And um, yeah, and, and that's really cool. It's not easy. Uh, there no, I lots, could... There are lots of addictions. I had one guy take off of me two weeks ago. I could not understand what he was on. Uh, um, he, he, what, he had been addicted to uh, uh, cocaine, but he was off it. He, um, he was ADD and wasn't taking his meds. Probably had some marijuana, and that was not a big issue you know, <laughs> with all these students. But then he, I, I knew he was going to bolt. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, he did at midnight. And he got two lakes ahead of me, and I finally caught up with him because there was a big storm. And he was afraid of the storm, so I caught up to him. And he was on, um, uh, what's that party drug? Um, ecstasy. ecstasy. He was on ecstasy. 
Like, what the? In the I middle, even put my flashlight above like, like, a, like, hey, <laughs> let's have a party. <laughs> That's the only way to get him back, you know? But, um, but I got to say that I, you know, I've also taken what they call normal students out, and they drive me nuts mm-hmm. uh, because they are given everything to like the students yes. at risk. Actually, they love being out in the woods because they don't want to be home. They don't want to be at home. It's a, yeah. it's an escape for them. Yeah, and I took um, some outdoor guys from college out last year. Oh, you should look at that video series I, I did in uh, Gonquin Park. We did a hiking trip for seven days. And everybody thinks those are my students at risk. They weren't. They were actually second-year college students. Lots of them great students, but some of them were like, what in heck are you doing out here? Uh, five of them didn't bring a flashlight. They, they were going to graduate be as guides. Really? And I, and I failed them. And they're like, well, that's not fair. And the parents said, that's not fair. I go, well, first of all, it's like, I'm a college prof. You don't get your mom to phone me and say it's yeah. not fair. Sorry. <laughs> you know, you're yeah. 21 years old. That's, that's embarrassing. Yeah. And, well, you can't say that. No, it's embarrassing. Okay, and if you don't have a flashlight and you're a guide, you fit. That's not fair. Okay, whatever. Like, um, and the other ones that made it were amazing, and they all got jobs. So, and you know, the interesting thing about that trip was I was so frustrated because I'm 51, right? So when I saw the first morning when they're all hungover, could care less, weren't packed right, and I showed them how to pack, but they, they're carrying frying pans, cans, canned food. Oh wow. Um, you know, I just, everything was a mess, right? And, and then my buddy that was with me, he said, don't lose it on these guys. I went, no, come on. Like, my students at risk wouldn't do this. And he goes, yeah, but today's society is different. And he goes, but what hasn't changed is nature will teach them. And he goes, let's have some fun. <laughs> because I'm so comfortable out there. I spent a lot of time out there, right? And it poured down rain for seven days, and it was October, and it was cold, right? Oh, yeah. So I had all the emergency devices, and no, they weren't going to die. Like, there's no way they're, they're going to die. So we, we watched nature teach them, and it was amazing. Like that one forceful individual that thought that, uh, they knew everything went, got us all lost. And I knew we were lost for two and a half hours, but I didn't tell her. <laughs> awesome. we, we were going back on the trail, back to the parking lot. And she goes, why well, didn't tell me? I went, you're the, you're the leader. Yeah. I'm marking you. Well, what did I get? Well, you failed. <laughs> <laughs> but by the end of it, the ones that made it through were amazing and you can see how they were comfortable out there they're comfortable with the pouring rain they're comfortable about the cold because they were they were able to get themselves warm and yeah and and my buddy was right that i didn't really teach him much but nature did now the one morning was hilarious they didn't hang their food pack proper and i was marking them on it so instead of getting mad at them i threw all their food in the bush made it look like a bear tore it apart and they went nuts right and i went would you hang it yes oh obviously that didn't work didn't hang it right <laughs> yeah, can you imagine that? That was hilarious. So I got up in the morning and I saw these packs. And I went, they didn't hang them. Well, what should I do? <laughs> oh, yell! I'm gonna throw everything in the woods. <laughs> I put the camera on. They wake up. What happened? I don't know. <laughs> did you just hear anything? Did you hang the packs? Yes, we did. I was like, you did it very well then. It was like this when I got up. <laughs> what do we do without any food? I don't know. You might starve. <laughs> do you like berries? <laughs> <laughs> Fishing, hunting, boating, and the rest of the great outdoors 24-7, 365 on Reno Viola Outdoors Radio. Download the free Reno Viola's Outdoor Radio app or visit wrvoradio.com online. Getting the family backcountry now is, is a big thing. You know, get them out there, let them have some fun, let them see what it's all about. How important is that nowadays? Well... First of all, if you know if someone's glamping, if someone's in an RV, if someone um, is on an ATV or motorboat, or they're in the car camping, I don't care. Like as long as they're out there, um, I used to do all that, and then I went to the backcountry because I wanted to get away from people. Not that I dislike people, but for example, last week I was at um, I was doing a parks tour actually, so I was staying at all the provincial parks in the campground. And most of my neighbors were great. This one guy just drove me nuts, and I'm thinking that's why I go to backcountry. I, I, right. I don't want to. S- camp beside him it's like being in, in a very small apartment in toronto right you can hear everything that's going on i and you can't get away from it well i mean yeah. I, I know i should even tell you the story but my neighbors used to have wild passion i love and it's like you know like what are you going to do when you're sitting right beside your <laughs> tent you know and, and i had to get out of my campsite in the mornings i didn't want to see them come out of the tent it would be embarrassing so <laughs> but it was one of those things like if they're having a good time that's fine but the, going to the back country um it, is more simplistic um, and 
people can't grasp the idea of taking their campground stuff into the interior. But yeah, you can use uh, a lighter tent, you can use uh, stuff sacks, you can dehydrate your food, and it's more preparation, which you guys would know. It takes a lot to prepare for an uh, interior oh, yeah. trip. But that's all part of it, too. It is. Uh, I mean, I, I, when we do our car camping, I don't see a lot of people cooking over the fire. And I still cook the majority of our, even though we've got a barbecue on the side of the trailer, we've got a perfectly good uh, stove in the trailer, I'm cutting the wood and I'm still doing food over the campfire in the middle of a campground. And people are walking by going like, that's a waste of time. But it's, it's what I'm used to, it's what I enjoy. It's a total different flavor than a barbecue I can get at home. Yeah, it did, there is a certain point. I mean, the neighbor at Bon Echo, he, you know, had a generator running their air conditioner and their yeah. TV. Generator. And, yeah. yeah. And the thing is, there's a certain point where he, he turned on pretty early in the morning and I went over and I'm like, well, sorry, sir, can you just shut that off right now? It's not even hot. Like, and I'm not being a nasty mm -hmm. neighbor. I'm just, this is ridiculous. At six in the morning, turn your generator on. Yeah. So I can't hear the birds singing. But, but he was an older man that had been to that park for years after years and enjoyed himself. And I, I felt guilty saying something to him, but... But then I said, no, nah, just go in the backcountry, you know, because yeah. he'll always be there. Mm -hmm. right. right. So so let's talk about canoe trips. Now, you've canoed and kayaked everywhere. Yes, I always call a kayaker the one person that never got along with their canoe partner. <laughs> All righty. Because my question being, canoes or kayaks? Um, I prefer the canoe. I, I don't dislike the kayak. Everybody thinks I do because I make fun of them all the time. But, but I do <laughs> kayak. I kayak the eastern shore of the Newfoundland, uh, the Abitibi River. Uh, Obiongo Lake is amazing to kayak around. It's better than canoeing. Georgian Bay, Lake Superior. So it makes sense to be in a kayak. I just don't like big water. I find it very boring after a while. Especially because I solo a lot. So after a right. while, you're just paddling this big water. You're like, well, this is not exciting. The canoe is the best vessel to get you in the interior, to get a small stream, a small pond. The portage is the best way to get away from people. And if you do meet someone on that lake, they're going to be just like you because they just did that nasty portage you did. So, you know, that's why I like canoeing. And I canoed, um, I, my dad and I were up in Ogoma. We're on this lake, Megasin Lake, and we're fishing at this fishing lodge we did every year. And we weren't catching anything on the main lake, so we used this beat-up Grumman canoe to go into a small trout pond. And we caught amazing speckles. And I wrote in my journal, like, this is for me. This is fantastic. Right. And ever since, that's what I really like. I don't care if you don't canoe. Um, I just prefer it. Have you tried stand-up paddleboard? I have because I got pictures of me. Uh, what's his <laughs> name? Uh, I forget his name. The guy, uh, the outfitter up in uh, Lake Superior. I, I slept on his beach, and I... I uh, he caught me, so uh, uh, so he said before you leave, I want you to go stand up boarding. I went, I am not doing that, and so he said, Well, you're not leaving my beach. So I did it, and he, he was right. It was pretty cool. I just wouldn't trip with it. Mm -hmm. I know people going tripping with it, but they have their yeah. I've seen it. Just like not the enough. barrel in the back end of the yeah. paddle board, and they're just it's again like if you want to do that, I have no yeah. problem with doing it. I I just my preference is well backpacking. It's the longest portage ever created in the world, right? <laughs> like why would you do it? Just without a canoe. And the reason why I started doing it again is because the students aren't allowed on the water all the time. It, you have to pull strings beyond belief now to get youth out on the water because oh, of liability, right? So to go, take them backpacking, um, you know, it's easier. I hate to say it, but it's easier. So I just started doing that with a lot of the school boards. And um, I didn't mind it. You have to really reduce everything you carry. And oh, it's yeah. like it's a science, right? But you are amongst the woods all the time. And you miss water. I find I miss water, but you see a lot more wildlife. You see, you're sort of in tune with your surroundings, especially in the fall. I love going back, back in the fall. Right. So yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Worst experience while canoe tripping and all the years you've been doing this well I've got I, tons of worse experiences I've had the worst luck in my life I, 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 in fact that's how I became a writer like I would go out with these film guys and I said well how come you're, you chose me to be on your film they're like you got the worst luck in the world Cal. like we just have to turn the camera on and something bad will happen to you is it it'll happen. so um, worst one gosh you know I don't know I, uh, no, there's so many worse ones, but the one in particular was <laughs> this is we're we're on a trip to Ogoma, and the pilot that was supposed to pick us up, we had driven our vehicles down an 80-kilometer dirt road, got a, and went canoeing, and then we're going to get a float plane back to those vehicles and then drive back on the road, and it was about a three-week trip, 
And then the things that happened were insane. So the what the pilot was supposed to pick us up, he was arrested f through a pornography scandal. <laughs> so we had to get another pilot, and we couldn't get another pilot uh, for another couple days. We were running out of food. We only had prunes and sugar, and we had had those for two days. And then um, we got flown back finally to our vehicles, and both vehicles had two flat tires each. Found out some locals didn't like canoeists, so they slashed their tires. So we had to walk that road and finally get a ride to get the And then what else happened? Um, uh, one guy got food poisoning or flu or some sort of thing, and he got really sick. Uh, we had some guy using a radio phone to call his wife all the time, so the radio phone didn't work because the battery was gone. And when he phoned his wife, they had arguments anyway. And when it came back, though, none of those misadventures had anything to do with nature. It was all human. It was all human doing. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, so. when I look back of all the times that really bad things have happened, it's most, mostly human-based. Well, and even Barry encounters, like I had uh, a Cree elder, Charlie, I, I visit him now and then, but, but he always laughs. He goes, you really don't like bears. I'm like, no, I'm terrified of them. He goes, well, they know. That's why they come in. And I've been camping with him, and a bear will come in. He goes, look, that bear knows you're terrified. Like, yeah. He goes, well, don't be terrified. So uh, there's a number of times, the best one ever. If, if, in fact, if you go up to the town of Chapleau and go into the bar, and they, they still tell that story to this day when Kevin did this. So... Basically, this bear was taking my bread, and Charlie goes, well, do something about it. And he goes, fight for once, for heaven's sake. So I said, go on, get out of here, bear, and wave my arms. He's like, well, this that's embarrassing. So I get a rock, and I threw it. I didn't mean to, but I hit the bear on the haunch. And the bear just looked at me, and Charlie goes, well, that was really stupid. <laughs> and the bear does a full charge. And I don't know if you've ever had that happen, but they flap their, um, their, their gums. Their gums. And then their, their front paws, they bang on the ground, and they grunt, right? Well, then this guy did the Walt Disney thing, too, and went back on his hind legs and went, Arr! And Charlie goes, hit him again. <laughs> so I uh, threw another rock and then I lost. I had the Irish temper, so I, I lost it. And, and I've exaggerated stories. I'm Irish and Scottish, right? But this is no exaggeration. There's photos to prove it. This bear went down the beach. I'm chasing after him. And Charlie's like, go get him, go get him. The bear stops at my canoe, smells it, and starts bashing it. <laughs> and Charlie's like, I've never seen that before. Well, That'll learn you. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and, you know, in one sense, that bear wasn't there to kill me. He was just one of my bread, but... Um, my first, when, when I first started getting into to canoe tripping and all that, your book on Algonquin Park was the first book I found. And I started going through all the, ooh, portage in here, just the round trip to here and around over here. And then you got lost in one and of the person that wrote the Who's this guy? And that was, that was really cool. You know, and you've got 15... <laughs> 15 books out? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and just being able to say, oh, well, this is... See, getting a glimpse into what you're in for is why I like your books. Is because I know, oh, yeah, well, this is, you know, you got the portages, and it's a killer portage or whatever, or here's what you're going to look for, and here's what you're going to see, and I went this route, and I went that route, and it starts to, to get you, okay, well, I know this is coming, or... This is why now that's going to be too long for me or whatever, right? And I, that's why I like the book. So I mean, your books are great. You do magazine articles, um, interviews up the ding dong. I mean, you're here today. Um, TV interviews, even I've seen you multiple times. Um, you're recognized everywhere you go. <laughs> Lord, I, I should be rolling in money. <laughs> no, that's what we're wondering. Good Lord. <laughs> No, you know, you know, it's probably a good thing there's not much money to be made in this business because uh, then you'd be doing it for the wrong reason, right? Right. So mm -hmm. um, I've had a lot of young people saying, oh, I want to do what you do. I went, well, do it. Well, and then they come back, oh, geez, uh, you know, um, I wrote a book, but nobody wants to publish it. Yeah, I wrote three books before anybody even looked at my stuff. And, well, I think I'll just not do something. I'll do something else. And I said, okay, fine, that's good. But if, if you want to do something, in fact, I was... How I started the book writing was I was doing a whole bunch of things to try and change the world, like in the youth, right? Working at camps and stuff. And Kirk Whipper from the Canoe Museum, he came out to me and goes, Well, man, you're hyper. You're doing way too many things. You're going to burn yourself out before you're 30. And he goes, Just choose one thing you're really good at. And I go, What is that? And he goes, Tell people where to go. Make them not afraid of it by being enthusiastic and, and happy all the time, like you are, and, and not overwhelming. 
and be yourself. And then I started writing guidebooks because guidebooks made sense. If I told them where to go, at the same time told them what happened between A and B, because that's the most important thing, not how to get between A and B. It's what happens in between A and B. Mm-hmm. And, and right. if you can get that, then you, you get people going out. And then, you know, my nickname in Peterborough is the wilderness pornographer. Because, you know, that they, I'll go to write about the Court of Highlands Park and people will say, well, you know, that used to be a, a great place to go for free and, and you wrote about it. And I went, that's not really the truth. The truth of the, that, that story is I moved up to Peterborough in, in the in 1980s and I went canoeing and those routes used to be there and they were closing them all down. Right. And my naive view at that time was, well, if I wrote about them, then they couldn't close them, could they? And if, they, if I didn't do that, what do you think would be happening to those lakes right now? They, it would not be a park. It would not be canoe routes. It's two hours from Toronto. So, yeah, those people can curse me. They're going to die soon anyway. Who cares? You know? <laughs> I, I, I know that actually what I, I... I get the anger, though. I get if you have a cottage or a camp in that area and you meet Kevin Kelly and you want to kill him. I get that. I, because they don't know me, right? They, this guy wrote about my, my secret area. But in the, how many billions of people on this earth, yeah. right? And you got a cabin on that one lake, and you're going to say that actually you should have that cabin on that lake, and all these people couldn't go paddling on it and connect with nature? Sorry. That's, yeah, that doesn't fly. Yeah. Well, the guy up in, uh, when they extended Killarney Park to the north end, and I went out there and found out all the canoe routes. And there were some canoe routes I didn't talk about because the lakes didn't, couldn't hold the amount of people going in there. Right. The portages were too rough. So, like, you know, there's rules and regulations I have in my own ethics, right? But there's this one gigantic lake, I think it's Bear Lake or Walter Lake, I forget, but it's a huge lake, it takes about an hour and a half to paddle across. And there was a guy that had a fishing camp on an island in the middle. And I phoned him up and I said, hey, do you know if there's a portage between this lake and Panage Lake? Because if it did, it would make a really good five-day loop. And he goes, that doesn't exist at all, which means it does. Right. I'm a trout angler. I know when someone's lying about their yeah. secret spot, right? So I headed up to find out for myself, which was the greatest thing about writing those guidebooks. I, it got me to go paddling all season because I had to write a book, right? Right. That was my obsession, right? So I go out there and I, I'm doing the research and there's this man coming across in his motorboat. And he goes, are you that wilderness pornographer, right? And I said, like, you and I are never going to agree with one another. You don't want the canoeists on on your lake because you have this remote fishing camp and your clients don't want to see people canoeing or kayaking here. My point is, this is a wilderness park that's expanded the range to the north and you happen to be in it and you'd be darn lucky you are and I'm not going to tell people not to canoe and kayak here. Right. So you can have your little bit, I mean, this lake is huge. It can't be yours. Uh, it's enough for everybody. Yeah, and so sure enough, him and I didn't agree, and we had an argument again. I finally, you know, I, I'm, an, I'm, I'm a bit of an idiot, right? So I basically get all frustrated, so I set, stand up in the canoe and I moon him. Like, well, that's what I think of you, right? <laughs> I'm not the moon any part of my life. So I moon the guy, and then I, I, go, I go away, and then he's yelling at me, and I write an article that had ended up to be in the, in the Sudbury Times, and I went on this one-month canoe trip somewhere in Quetico, and I forgot all about it. I came home, and... Oh, Kevin, you're in trouble. You better park, phone the park. They're all upset with you. So I phone the park and they go, Kevin, you have anything to do with this man being very upset with the canoes, canoes and kayakers up in his lake? I'm like, I don't know what ha- what's happening. Well, they're all circling his lake. They've done it for a- almost two weeks solid and they keep mooning his camp. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I, I have no recollection of that event. And he <laughs> says he's got no power. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it was hilarious. You know, it's probably the most most controlled and organized canoeists and kayakers have ever ever been. That's perfect, right? <laughs> That's beautiful. Fishing, hunting, boating, and the rest of the great outdoors 24-7, 365 on Reno Viola Outdoors Radio. Download the free Reno Viola's Outdoor Radio app or visit WRVORadio.com online. The big thing now is losing the waterways and all the political hubbub that's going on with that. So, I mean, anything we can save and everything we can We're keep. just starting to dig into that now. I'm starting to read more about... Where there's all the... Uh, all the... What's it called? The Waterways Act? The Waterways Act, yeah. Yeah, the Navigable Waters, uh, Waterways, Navigable Act, Waterways a real, Act yes. real issue um, that nobody really could win. Um, it was just a nightmare. But here's an example how silly it is. When we did the Minas Lake, and we had been out for 16 days, it took us 16, not 20 days, but our last day, there was a waterfall, um, I forget what lakes in it, was two cottage lakes, and there was a, a municipal park there in the old map and a portage across it. 
And we started portaging. This woman came out and said, get off my property. You're not allowed on the property. And I said, well, what happened? Well, I guess she had bought that property. And I go, I'm still allowed to portage here. No, you're not. I'm going to call the authorities. I go, well, what about the other side of the river? No, someone else owns that. And of course, I started portaging anyway. What are you going to do, shoot me? I just actually spent and portaged 98 portages. And you think I'm going to not finish this route because... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, well, it ended up that I caused some controversy because I went to the media and said, this can't happen. This is not Canadian. This is wrong. Right. And sure enough, the city went back and bought a piece of the property again to make that portage because so many people complained. But that's just one little case study across yeah. the Well, there's that one up in Bala that they're talking about all the time. You know, they want to close that portage down. I mean, everybody's got their different reasons and, you know, the truth, who knows. The one at Bala, it's, it's a hydro project. They yeah. bought the dam and they own the apron of land around the edge of the dam. And so it's a traditional portage. But the corporation has said no it's a safety thing we're liable we don't want people crossing over so they made it a liability issue yeah. and not a this is our land issue and so the the city was involved the the corporation was involved the government got involved and it went to ottawa and they were trying to push some sort of thing to say yeah it will navigable waterways act but then the navigable waterways act got butchered within the last few years right so it's well the terrifying thing is if you go to other countries paddling like you go i went to wales a couple years ago and amazing paddlers they actually spend hours and hours and they get their certificates and stuff but what they do is they paddle in some same area all day because they have no wilderness beautiful scenery but yeah. you can see people everywhere and to paddle this one river one day we had to pay the landowner we had to pay them to make sure the water level was up and we were had to make sure there was no wind fishing at the time because they had more uh, authority over us and I'm thinking, what a weird country. And then that night I gave a presentation about where I go canoeing in Canada. And they're dumbstruck. Hmm. They're like, my goodness, they're going to go and live in Canada. And that's true. But we could lose all that and become whales. Yes. Right. Because that's exactly what, what went on in that country. That country is a lot older than Canada. Mm-hmm. Still recording. Um, yeah, you know, it, and it's, it's, it's a story I read um, Think, I know it was in the States. I want to say New York, but I don't know it was New York. The land owner owned the land oh, yes. right up to the river. And there was a group of canoeists coming up. And I guess there was a sandbar just offshore. So they stopped there. Well, he came out, told them to get off the property. And a little argument erupted. And the landowner, they weren't even on his property. They were in the river on a sandbar. Ended up shooting and killing the guy. Yeah, so it was, a, it was a sort of a back and forth, sort of like you said about the fishing guy on his island. And they said, I'm not on your land, I'm on the sandbar. So the, ar- the argument progressed, unfortunately, to the point where the canoeist, the paddler, pissed him off enough that... So he, you don't have to worry about bears out there? No, no, no. no. It's the people you got to worry about. Crazy <laughs> landowners. You got your Facebook page? Yeah, I got Facebook, Twitter, uh, I got my own. Actually, it's funny, like Kevin Callan Facebook guy. I think people use more than the Happy Camper Facebook, but... Uh, um, which is fine. And then I got a website, uh, Casey Happy Camper, and actually my YouTube channel. Um, I actually have a Kevin Callum YouTube channel, but that's just family stuff. Right. But the, uh, I got Casey Happy Camper YouTube, and that's, a, that's hilarious. Like talking about why you would ever do something. There is no money to be made on YouTube. So why do I ever do those videos? Well, I have a blast. Yeah. You look like blast. you have fun. Yeah, I, I do. I've, I've do. watched most of them. And yeah. <laughs> Kevin Callum, thank you. And we'll be looking forward to hearing more from you in the future. Well, thanks a lot, Sean. Thank you. If you like the show you are listening to right now, you can listen to it and many more just like it on Reno Viola Outdoors Radio. Fishing, hunting, boating, and the rest of the great outdoors 24-7, 365 on Reno Viola Outdoors Radio. Download the free Reno Viola's Outdoor Radio app or visit WRVORadio.com online to see the lineup and schedule. That's Reno Viola Outdoors Radio. And enjoy the great outdoors. That interview with Kevin Callan, that was such a fun and entertaining interview. He's quite the knowledgeable guy and a lot of experience that he's had out there. You know, just listen to the youth at risk stuff he was talking about and the, the trips he takes and and the, just some of the experiences and adventures. And yeah, he's he's out there for the fun, the the outdoors, get back to nature sort of thing, right? 
his enthusiasm really comes through in his interview. And it, just in, it's not really an interview. It's it's a it's a almost like a fireside chat. It was a conversation with with Kevin Callan. So it was it was more fun. It was more entertaining than what you would expect from an interview. It definitely was. It, you know, and I had a good time just sitting there talking. And I mean, the, the actual interview. Uh, lasted over an hour and a half and we you know he had to cut it down to fit the show here but uh yeah you know what i'd love to sit down with him and chat some more because he's just filled with with knowledge and entertainment he's pure entertainment yeah he's it was great it was a fantastic interview do it again in a heartbeat absolutely absolutely you're listening to paddling adventures radio we are now part of the reno viola outdoors radio network you can hear us multiple times each week go to renoviolaoutdoors.com check out the schedule to see when our show plays Canadian Canoe Museum, what a great place to visit. Educational, and Carolyn gave us a whole bunch of information that was absolutely fantastic. In our conversation with Kevin Callan, it was so fun and entertaining. I'd love to do that again. If you want more information on the Canadian Canoe Museum and Kevin Callan, check out our Facebook page. You'll find links to their websites as well as other social media sites. If you're in the Toronto area this weekend, there's a few up-and-coming events. The Outdoor Adventure Show is at the International Centre February 19th through 21st. The 31st Wilderness and Canoe Symposium at the Monarch Park Collegiate Auditorium, February 19th and 20th. And if you're looking for something a little further away, the 5th Annual Kitchener-Waterloo Canoe Symposium, which is at the Princess Twin Cinemas in Waterloo on Saturday, April 16th. Check out our Facebook page for links. If you have any an event you want us to mention, drop us a line. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle, get on the water. You've been listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors Radio. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time.